Maybe this morning you, you know somebody that is, you've maybe prayed for them and you've wondered why are they having such a hard time understanding the truth about Jesus? Why, why won't their heart soften? What is it? And, uh, and maybe your ability to, to talk to people about Jesus, you're, you get frustrated. And I just want to remind you this morning that what this text reminds us is that as we go through this mission together, we're not alone. You're not alone. The Holy Spirit is with you. And, and for some of the, the hard skeptics, I want to invite you this morning to consider that there might be something deeper going on right now, this morning, in your life, in your experience, even if you didn't even believe in God. Something so profound, so true, and so life-changing that when commanded to shut up or die, Christ's followers, His disciples, chose death over silence. Who does that? Who does that? Why would they do that? Would they, would they give their lives for a lie? No. They saw Jesus rise from the dead. They experienced the Holy Spirit at Pentecost come on them. They witnessed themselves change their lives. If you look at the disciples before uh, the cross, before the, the tomb, and before uh, Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes, and you compare them after all that, Changed people. Cowardly Peter, before, after, preaches a sermon and 3,000 people give their hearts to Jesus. Probably more than Jesus ever led to himself in one day. Really. I mean, I know he fed 5,000, but when, when he went to the cross, there was just a handful of people sitting at the, at the cross that loved him. Wow. This word convict that we're talking about this morning. It's, uh, what is it? When I was a newlywed man, um, maybe some of you can relate if you've been married and you remember when you were uh, first married. I, I remember we had some communication problems. <laughs> Guys, you ever, you ever had that? Um, and like most young husbands, I hadn't really learned yet how to respond to the subtle nuance, the indirect communication of my young bride. It's like, you guys, you know what I'm talking about if you've been married more than a week. Um, <laughs> and it, it would be like, and I can't even remember the situation, but I just remember situations like this. It would be like she could be in the other room and call to me and say, hey, honey, the garbage is full. And I would sweetly holler back, okay, honey, and watch the game and just keep going. And then 20 minutes later, she could come in the room and you guys, you know, there's something wrong. You just know there's something wrong. You don't know what it is. I didn't know what it was. It's just, you can tell. Every woman communicates it differently, right? Uh, some of them, it's the, it's the, it's the heavy breathing, the, you know, like, like fire coming out the nose. And you don't even have to, you don't have to see them. You can just sort of hear it in the hot breath coming down your neck. Uh, for, some, for some of you, it's the terrified look, you know, that she gives you. And you just, you just know, you don't know what the look means except that you're in trouble and you don't know why. Right? All the women in the room know exactly what my problem was. When my wife said to me, the garbage can is full, what did she mean? Go empty the garbage. 
<laughs> now or else. <laughs> what she means is get your lazy butt off the couch, go over to the garbage can, lift it out, take it to the garbage can outside, fill it up, stomp it down, go back in, make sure you put a new liner in the garbage can and all that. Why didn't I do that? Well, she didn't ask me. If she had asked, I would have done it. Some of the guys say amen. Come on. What she's trying to do in that moment is to convince me, to convict her man of the need to take out the garbage. Now, fortunately, God's communication skills are a whole lot better. And he's trying to convict us about something way more important. Infinitely more important. And you see, when we see that word conviction, it's, it's actually, we, we know it's, the, it's really the work of a prosecuting attorney. A prosecutor is the one who makes a case by producing the, fa- or producing the facts and then poking holes in the defendant's case. And then hoping to bring a conviction. And when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, though, we're not talking about an angry accuser who's seeking vengeance. That's not who we're talking about. There is an accuser and it's not God. We just need to be very, very clear about that. Last week, we saw that he is the Holy Spirit is a counselor. He's an advocate. In other words, he makes truth real to us. And until we're convinced of that truth, he points holes in our logic, our excuses. And he does sometimes very, very gently, sweetly even. Like my wife, very subtle. Honey, take out the gar- I mean, honey, the garbage can's full. Sometimes he speaks to us. Very gently and other times very direct, very aggressive and many times very painfully. Why would he do that? You've probably seen the movie before. It's in all different kinds of movies. You've seen a scene very similar to this where there'll be two people running from the bad guy, right? They're running and then one of them trips and falls, hurts themselves, breaks their legs or whatever, or they're shot or something. And they, and they stop and they fall. And he says to his friend, no, 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 you go on. You go on. I'll be, I'm just, I'm, 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 just save yourself. Right? You, you know the dramatic scene. We've seen this go out many, many different times and many different things. And a friend comes back and says, dude, get up. Let's go. He's coming. You're going to die. You can do it. Get your sorry butt up now. Why would a person be so demanding and harsh is all that? Because he loves them. That's why. And that's why the Holy Spirit is so firm with the truth. Because he knows what's at stake for you. That's why. That's why... Many of us in your life and your, your, your desire to even walk away from him, he's driven you nuts trying to get you back. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, I've often said to people, I said, you're ruined for the world ever again. Because the world will never taste the same after you've come and said, Jesus, I want to follow you. The world just does not taste the same. I mean, you can go and have a little bit of fun, but after that fun is over, it's going to be worse. You're not going to enjoy it like you did when you were just hanging out with doing your own thing and not walking with Jesus. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that's true. The truth will set you free. But you know what? First, it's very likely going to make you miserable. 
I've been there. Done that. Got the t-shirt. And you know, that's one of the first signs that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. It's that inner turmoil. It's almost like you're, you're sitting in the witness chair. And you're being challenged to defend your beliefs about life and eternity and values. What you believe about Jesus. And it's uncomfortable. And the question for us, though, is how do we respond to a struggle like that? We all have it. We have it, even though we're saved, walking with Jesus, we have it if we don't know anything about this. And this subject is completely new to us this morning. That struggle is there. Now, if you're one of those honest people, and I hope you are, maybe you say, hey, I'm not sure about all this Bible stuff. But if God did send his son and if God does want me to be filled with his spirit. And if in all that there's the answers to life that I seek, if that's the answer, even though I'm not sure it's true. But if it might be true, then I want all that. That's the honest heart. That's the honest seeker. That's the one who says, I don't know, but if it's true, I want it. Because that's significant. And if you want that, I just want to invite you this morning to just say to the Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, please convict me of the truth. Please convict me of the truth. I want to see you. I want you to become a real person to me. Not just some abstract theological reality, but I want you to become real in my life. You know when you say something like that, you know what that is? It's a prayer. It's a prayer. And if it's an honest prayer from the heart, then get ready to be prepared for three things. Because the Holy Spirit is going to convict us about three specific things. Number one, it says he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Three things, sin, righteousness and judgment. The first of those is sin. Sin is a word that our culture says we shouldn't talk about too much. It's kind of judgmental. But it's all over the Bible. And there's a reason for it, because, as I said, the Holy Spirit knows what's at stake. So he does not mind reminding us of the truth. Sin is an old English word. It comes from uh, the uh, sport of archery, which literally means to miss the mark, to miss the mark. And so the first thing the Holy Spirit does is that he convicts people that they've missed the target. And he does this not to accuse you of a mistake, but to correct your aim. To correct what you're shooting at. And then what, what needs correcting? Verse 17 says that he convicts the world regarding sin because men do not believe in me. See, the first thing the Holy Spirit does is he addresses the sin of unbelief. The sin of unbelief. You ever try to get someone to go to the doctor who doesn't believe that they're sick? It's not easy. I've, I've tried that with my wife. No, I don't need to go. Well, honey, you've been, you know, coughing and wheezing for days now. I'm going to be fine. Go to the doctor, you know, and, and you, you blew in the face. Unless someone is convicted of their sickness, they're not going to go to the doctor. There's a funny... Uh, Funny skit I don't, from, from the, actually the good days of Saturday Night Live, if there were good days. Um, but Dana Carvey is one of my favorite 
characters on there, and they did this silly sketch called Massive Head Wound Harry. I don't know if anyone saw it, but I just I remember seeing it, and I just cracked up because uh, Massive Head Wound Harry is this guy that's going to a cocktail party, and on his way to the cocktail party, he has this bad accident, and he has this massive head wound. I mean, it's just kind of gushing blood. And so the scene opens, and Massive Head Wound Harry opens the door. They open it, the, oh, hi, Harry, and he walks in, and everyone is aghast that this guy is not in the hospital. Everyone in the room knows where that guy should be except for Massive Head Wound Harry. Because he's in denial. And then when he passes out, they call the 911 and send him to the dock. You know, in the first century, there was a version of Massive Head Wound Harry. His name was Simon. And he was a Pharisee. Jesus went to his house for dinner. And sometime during the course of the events, a woman came up to Jesus and she was, it says, an immoral woman, probably a prostitute. And she was overcome with the grace of Jesus and came to his feet weeping. She washed his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair. And at one point, Jesus turns to Simon and basically says, you know what, Simon? You were hospitable to me this morning or this afternoon. But this woman embraced me. And you know why? Jesus would say, because he who has been forgiven much loves much. She knew that she had a deep wound. She knew she lacked. And she was desperate for forgiveness. And Jesus forgave her sins. You see, that's where the power is. That's where the power is. Church people, if, if we cannot live with that sense of complete and total overwhelmness at the love and grace of Jesus Christ, there is no power in the Christian life. All it is is just changing the chairs on the Titanic. But here's where the power is. It's why musicians write songs to Jesus, write books about Jesus. It's why artists create beautiful things to honor Jesus. It's why the martyrs would be willing to die for Jesus. Why? Because when someone understands the depths of their sin, understands their need for a Savior, and then considers the cross and what Jesus did there, bleeding and dying for you and I, you're overwhelmed, weeping for joy, weeping out of sorrow for your sin at his feet like that woman, and then weeping for joy at the forgiveness that is available in Jesus Christ. This is the good news. This is the amazing news. And you see, when the Holy Spirit convicts people of sin, it's not to make them feel bad. Now, that's what we do. Aren't we good at that? You know? And, and this isn't about the natural workings of our conscience either. It's about a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit who convicts us of unbelief, our lack of trust, fundamental lack of trust in Jesus. And the primary reason is this. It's our self-trust. We've got a problem with self-trust 
The Holy Spirit convinces people that self-trust is what is keeping them from trusting Jesus. What do I mean? Everybody does stuff to make themselves acceptable to God. Or even to, we do this with one another, too. We change our dress, the way we look, our appearance. We, we think, you know, our talents are going to make us acceptable. Our kids, you know, we, we do it through our job, other relationships. But the Holy Spirit comes along. And he shows you how this doesn't work. And by the way, I believe this is why so many people are disappointed, angry, and frustrated, and even adrift in life. And here's why. Because intuitively, we know that all those other things are meaningless without God. And yet many don't know how or are afraid to turn those things over to God. And the Holy Spirit is going to come and, like I said, He might even make you miserable until you yield to the truth. You'd be better off at just renouncing faith in Jesus Christ altogether. Really. If you want to be free of that, go ahead, just do that. I don't think you want to. But if we are serious about the songs we sing on Sunday morning, then we need to cooperate with what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our heart. That's what we need to do. Here's the problem with self-trust. And it's, it's how we know, this is how we know that we've got a problem with it. Because we do it in two ways. One is we, we have this attempt to prove ourselves worthy. And then also to punish ourselves for being unworthy. It's kind of this sick thing. For those who want to prove themselves worthy, this person spends a lot of time comparing himself or herself to others. By the way, religious people, we're really good at that. And uh, it says to God that, hey, you should accept me because I'm better than most. And you know what? Because he loves you, because he knows that that kind of stinking thinking will kill you, he says to you, he says to us, Better than most isn't good enough. You're trying to be your own savior because of pride. And when that's the case, you just don't see the need for the real savior. The only savior. Some of us have been punishing ourselves. And if that's the case, it might be that you feel guilty about everything. You jump from one destructive relationship to another. Personal failures fill your thoughts. And when they, when they do, you, you have this thought in your head constantly of, I'm not worthy. And what that person is really saying is this, that if I can just suffer enough, I'll pay for my mistakes. I'll pay for my failures. And it'll be okay. And because of humiliation, the person says, I can't go to God because I'm not worthy. And still the person is, same thing, trying to be their own savior, trying to pay their way through their pain. Now, some people will say, hey, don't talk about sin like this. It, it, it just makes people angry or sad. And, it's, and it'll make them feel unworthy to come to God if you start talking about sin. Now, that's true, of course, if you're just talking about your natural conscience. Because a guilty conscience 
says this. A guilty conscience says, I'm a sinner and therefore I can't go to God. But the Holy Spirit comes and says to us, you are a sinner, but you must go to God. It's the only solution you have. So just get over it and go. (laughs) Sin is a funny thing. Uh, This week we... um, had another chainsaw incident. <laughs> this time it was Jake's fault. Not so much. You see, we, we needed to take this one tree down because it had storm damage. And it was a big tree. And we had to, we had to drop it between the house and the neighbor's fence. And it was, you know, there was a quarter of probably about 10 feet that, that we needed to drop this tree. The problem was... All the weight of the tree was leaning over towards the neighbor's yard like this. And so we, for a long time, kept looking at the tree, Jake and I, talking to each other about how we should cut this tree so that it would fall right where it needs to. You know, we were trying to remember, you know, physics, and I never took physics, so that was kind of hard to remember it. And and, and Jake's like, oh, no, let's do it this way. And I'm like, I don't know about that. And our, our first instincts was, let's start at the top of the tree and just take it down a little bit. We both know that that, in hindsight, would have been the best idea. But we thought, that's going to take a long time. Do you see where this is going? So Jake says, let me have at it. So Jake starts cutting the tree. He says, I think we can drop it right here. And this whole thing is just going to fall right over here. And I'm thinking, I don't know. Avon came out and said, what's Jake doing? I said, I don't know. It was all his idea. <laughs> I'm holding the rope. And I'm going to pull it my way. There's just one problem about physics. Is that a 3,000 pound tree going that way and a 130 pound man. You see where this is going? The tree starts to fall. And within seconds, bam, it's down. And it's not where it's supposed to go. Took out the neighbor's fence. You see, sin is like that. It's a decision that makes sense at the time. But you really missed the target. I had to repent of my sin. I had to write a note to the neighbor. Jake ruined your fence. You can reach him in Afghanistan. His number is... Do you know that... When it comes to sin, that both Christians and non-Christians repent of sin. You do. We both feel bad about stuff and we say, I'm sorry. I, I want to move on. I, I blew it, you know. There's something that only Christians do. Here it is. Not only do Christians repent of their sin, but we repent of our righteousness. We repent of our righteousness. 
The Holy Spirit convinces people to repent not just of their sin, but of their righteousness. Why? Because if we're going to experience the power of God in our lives, if we're going to experience the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, if we are going to be led by God in our life, we need to understand something that it's not about the righteousness that you give to God, that we give to God. It's about a righteousness that God gives to you. That's it. So why wallow in your misery and shame about some mistake? What good is that? Just receive it. God, you did it. It's done. It's mine. I blew it. I'm moving on. Someone say, hallelujah. That's what we do. But you see, I realize now about that tree that I was not qualified to drop that tree where it needed to go. I know that now. I'm not a tree guy. I didn't have the wisdom to do it the right way. Apparently needed a Jake. Not that I should keep pointing that out. This is my son-in-law after all. Oh, someone's over here. I need to forgive. You see, that realization that I didn't have what it takes to put that on target, that's repenting of righteousness. Because see, righteousness, this is what righteousness is. It's righteousness is a standard of character or a list of qualifications that somehow makes you acceptable. We, we see this all over the place. If you want to get into a university, right, there's a list of criteria that you have to meet to get into the school. That's the righteousness that you need to achieve to be accepted in the right click at school with the cool kids. You got to have the right clothes, have the right friends, the right money. Maybe a car would help. And just as there is a type of righteousness that gets you into the good school or the cool group, there's a type of righteousness that gets you into the glorious presence of God. And for school, if you want to get in there or you want to get into the club at school, you get accepted by developing your own set of righteousness. But with God, it doesn't work that way. It never does. You need a righteousness that only He develops. And this is how you know that the Holy Spirit is convicting you of righteousness. Because it's when the Holy Spirit reveals this truth to you. That it's not about what you do, but what God has done. You see, that's the difference between a religion and a relationship with Jesus Christ. A religion says, do something for God. A relationship with God says, I've, God has done it for me already. That is what it means to be a Christian. Jesus lived a perfect life. He satisfied every moral qualification necessary to go to God. And that's why Jesus said of the Holy Spirit that he convicts people of righteousness. And then he says, because I am going to the Father. In other words, that he can go to his Father in heaven because he satisfied once and for all every requirement necessary. And it doesn't stop there. It's not that he just satisfied the requirement. Not only does Jesus have the right, the right stuff, but he wants to give you his right stuff. His righteousness. And so the Holy Spirit whispers to your soul and he says, come on, take a leap of faith. Stop trying to make yourself worthy. Just receive Jesus. Just receive what he's done for you. You know, the woman caught in adultery. It's one of those stories in the Bible that is so seared into our, our imagination. We 
Every, Non-Christians know this story. People who don't know the Bible know this story because it's us. It represents us. And when Jesus was confronted with this woman who was caught in adultery, notice what he didn't say to her. He didn't say, he didn't say hey, I don't condemn you because sin is a matter of personal ethics or choice. And he didn't say, hey, I'm going to condemn you for this heinous sexual sin. He said neither of those things. What he said is this. He says, basically, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. How can he say that? Well, he's the only one who's qualified to cast the first stone, and he doesn't. Why? In that moment, with that woman, he must be thinking, sister, that punishment you deserve, it's going to happen to me. That whipping that you deserve, it's going to happen to me. The nails in the hands, the side, the sword in the side, the spear, it's going to happen to me. I'm going to do that for you. And he knows that he has already done it. And so he can say, your sins are forgiven. When the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin and righteousness, the third thing basically is automatic. He convicts you of judgment. He says, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. What does he mean? It's that the Holy Spirit convinces believers that because Jesus is your advocate, because he's your advocate, guess what? You're safe. You're safe. And this means that you can walk through life with overwhelming confidence. I think our confidence in Jesus Christ should be so amazing that if we weren't bathed in love, other people might think we were just arrogant. But that's the kind of confidence we can walk through life with because we know who God is, we know who we are, and we know where we're going. And until we believe, the Holy Spirit comes to us like a loving, prosecuting attorney. But then when the witness then accepts the truth and receives the righteousness of Jesus Christ for themselves, he changes the, the Holy Spirit does from a prosecutor to the defense attorney, your advocate. And he assures us that this very source of great evil has been dealt with. The damage that was caused by evil has, has been reversed. And the victims, that's you and me, of evil, have been saved. This is, this is the good news. This is the amazing news. This morning, this has, I think, profound implications for us. If you're here this morning and you've been feeling unworthy, I just want to, I want to challenge you and invite you to say something. Either in your heart or out loud or just in your time with God. And when you hear that voice that says, I don't feel worthy, I want to invite you to tell that voice in your head. To say, I don't care what you think about me. I only care what God says about me. He loves me. He accepts me on the basis of what Jesus did, not what I've done. See, we need to take those thoughts captive, the Bible says, and just call it what it is. Call it out. Thought, look, 
That ain't true. This is true. God loves me. I'm his kid. I'm moving on. That's what we need to do. Some of us are frustrated that someone hasn't come to faith. You've been praying for them for years. Two things I just want to remind us of. Number one is that you're not the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? We forget that. But it's the Holy Spirit's job to bring conviction, not yours. I think there would be so many more people that would just so quickly walk in the faith of Jesus Christ if the Christians that they knew would stop trying to convict them of their sin, unbelief, and righteousness, and judgment. It doesn't mean we don't tell the truth. Of course we tell the truth in love. And that's the next thing. And that is, you just love them. And more importantly, what they really need is the Holy Spirit to come through. So we pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and break through? Because unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain and they even try it all. I look around the room and I see people whom the Lord has begun to build something beautiful and new. And that's how you start. And last, it's just this, and that is because we are so incredibly loved by God, we need to live as though we are loved by God. Head high, confident, loving. And if you really understand how incredibly forgiven and loved you are and how much the gap is between what you deserve and the grace that He just unloads on you, if that doesn't overwhelm you, then you don't understand the love of God. And so if we're going to live like we're loved people, we need to say, Holy Spirit, would you come and make that fresh and real to me again? Or for the first time. And you know how you know it's not fresh? It's when you start sounding a lot like Satan and you start accusing. And you just start, you just have those thoughts about people. You know what they are. And the Holy Spirit's first thought about that person who's angry with you, who's hurt and wounded and doing what wounded people do, his first thought for them is, I died for them too. And they need me, he would say. Lord loves you and wants to do something profound in you. Would you, uh, would you stand with me as we just receive what the Lord is doing this morning? Holy Spirit, we need you to be real in our lives. And so this morning, we come and need just say we need you to speak to our hearts. Lord, give us a renewed faith to be able to pray for those that still haven't heard. Lord, give us the courage to respond to your voice, even in that place where you're making us miserable right now, where we need to yield to you. And I thank you that you're so gentle that when we do, you don't condemn us, you receive us, you love us, what a great promise. Who wouldn't want to follow a Savior like you, Jesus? I can't imagine who. 
So thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen.